0: Welcome to Beautiful Botswana, the travel podcast where we aim to travel around Botswana and learn about this wonderful safari destination as we chat with experts, safari professionals and safari legends as we share stories, recommendations and help you plan your Botswana holiday. Today I am on the road and I am not in Maun and I am interviewing from Kasani and it is really exciting to be sitting here on the banks of the Chobe River surrounded by a beautiful forest with birds calling with somebody I've known since I first came to Botswana. Um, He's actually the man who gave me my first job in Botswana so it's very exciting to be able to sit and have a chat with him today. A Botswana resident since 1995 and um, he's been a Kasani resident since 1999. And we met when he was the managing director of Great Plains Conservation, uh, having been with linyanti Explorations, the company that ran the Salinda Reserve and Salinda and Zarafa. And we met then and we worked together and went on to um, set himself up as both a safari consultant as well as a private guide. And has been, for the last now almost 10 years, privately guiding for the Smithsonian, as well as running his own business, uh, running private guided safaris. His business, Last Chance Safaris, offers opportunities to travel all over Africa with him as a private guide. And he also started a little project during lockdown, much like my podcast, and... His blands are fascinating, entertaining, great stories, sort of a, of a fireside chat kind of variety, um, but written as a blog. So he's got those done as a blog um, at lastchantsafaris.earth forward slash blog. And um, with great pleasure, I introduce Grant Nell. Welcome, Grant.
1: Thank you, Tessa. So so nice to be with you and uh, to be sitting here with you and Kasani. Dragged you out of Maun. Fantastic. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> it didn't take a lot, I promise. So, <laughs> so nice to really, really nice to be with you, and thank you for inviting me to your podcast.
0: Fantastic. Well, Grant, today we're going to chat a little bit about Kasani life and what what makes this town interesting and in its history. And I mean, it's got history that can go back um, eons. But before we start chatting a little bit about that, um, how was it that you first decided to, that Botswana was where you wanted to be? I mean, you've, you're now a citizen; you've been here for decades. Uh, what made you choose? Botswana back in 1995?
1: An advert in a newspaper. So um, my wife, Sharon, and I were hunting for a job. We'd been traveling around in North America, came back uh, pretty broke, um, and we were hunting around for the right job, and uh, we just answered an ad in a paper, um, and we came to Kasani, uh, ran Chobichalwera for a year before we moved down to Selinda, uh, and never looked back. You know, it, it feels like home now. Um, both of us are originally from Zimbabwe and we've lived all over Southern Africa, but Botswana is home um, and we feel most comfortable here. And it's it's always a pleasure when we come back across the border from wherever we've been, we know we are home. This is where we are meant to be. Well,
0: I th- can thank you for the fact that I Botswana is my home and it's my place where I'm meant to be because of a similar address. So yeah. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> Things I love about Kasani is that living in Kasani can still be living in the bush. But mm-hmm. you um, lived out in the private concessions for a few years and then came back to Kasani. What is it about living in Kasani itself that makes you love living here rather than just being in Botswana as a
1: country? If I'm going to be completely honest, it's elephants. Okay. Yeah. So by far and away, they're my favourite animal. Um, and from the very first time when I arrived and started working at Chawero. Became completely enamoured with the elephants here on the Chobe. So it's a it's a bad day in Kasani when I don't see an elephant, and they are seen they in town um, occasionally and around town. So it's it's you don't necessarily have to go into the national park um, to go and see them. And yeah, it, it's elephants. I like the community. We're a family effectively. In the in recent years, Kasani has grown, um, and it's not. When we first got here, there were dirt roads and a tiny little supermarket. There was, sorry, I can't call it a supermarket. <laughs> I can only call it a market. <laughs> it wasn't super yet. There was no super involved. Um, and, uh, you know, it it was a, a really small community where everybody did everything together um, and um, a strong sense of, of togetherness. And I think that's what kept us here. You mm-hmm. know, our long, dear friends mm-hmm. living here, um, plus the fact that the bush is literally on our doorstep. Um, Bushbuck in my garden, mongoose uh, harassing my dogs. I oh, know the bush is right here, so yeah. I wouldn't want to live anywhere else. Hmm. Well, and you mean there's
0: a long standing rivalry between Maun and Kasani, and it's not just on the cricket field, so we won't go down into the benefits of Maun versus Kasani life. And then you're actually not in Kasani itself, you're in Kazangula. Uh, can you? sort of give our listeners a little bit of a lay of the land we've got lasuma valley kasangula and kasani town and they all sort of get lumped together as a destination of kasani but um sort of how how do the three differ in terms of maybe a guest experience or where if somebody's choosing a hotel why they choose which one
1: it's um so kasangula is actually the oldest town Mm -hmm. yeah it was the original settlement um kasani was actually only Created as a means to settle people that were living in what was then um, Serendella, uh, in the what became Chovi National Park, and they needed to move the people out of the national park. So they created a, a new settlement of Kasani. Kazangula was, was the, the first settlement. Since then, um, and that's the, the 60s, late 60s, since then, Kazangula has become the little brother mm-hmm. to Kasani. Kasani has been the, the town that has boomed village that has boomed into a town, Um, and it's where most of the development is, most of the the hotels are. Um, What separates the two towns from a logistic point of view is a set of rapids. So it's much easier for hotels and uh, accommodation to be above the rapids with an easy access into the national park, as opposed to us here in Kazangula, where the, the rapids are actually stop us from getting into the National Park via the river. We've got to drive around mm-hmm. the rapids in order to get there. So most of the development has happened in Kasani, I think primarily because of that.
0: And you can see it. The Kasani accommodation is very much focused on jetties and rivers and absolutely. S- yeah. access onto straight onto the
1: boats. Yeah, absolutely. So what I like about Kazangula is that we've been left alone. For you don't, and you
0: don't get the boats coming we past your front. We don't
1: get this whizzing and zooming and uh, we've got this quiet little stretch of river. And uh, it, it it's extremely pretty. The vegetation is is pretty much untouched, pristine sort of riverine bush, which is hard to come by in this part of the world nowadays. The whole area here seems to be a little wilder, mm-hmm. um, and the, we're a little bit closer to the forest reserves. And we you know we we get all sorts of wildlife paying us a visit. Occasionally we have leopards on the property. Occasionally we, you know, the buff we have we've had heard of buffalo that have. We're resident on the property for most of the lockdown year, actually. Oh, uh, amazing. Which is a little disconcerting. Yeah. <laughs>
0: um,
1: but they're not here at the moment. Mm. Um,
0: so, from what you're saying, Kasani's got the ease of facilities, yeah. ease of use, but the compromise is that you lose a little bit of the wilderness. So, Absolutely. if you're somebody who wants to keep feeling like you're still in a little bit more of a wild aurora Botswana when you are visiting this area in order to see the Chobe, then...
1: I would, recommend Kasingula Kasingula would be Lusuma.
0: a better stay yeah. and then of course there's lasuma which is even further away yeah and wild for different reasons
1: so Lusuma is a, is a little village which has its history uh, with the the sand people who used to live in this particular area so there's still quite a a group of those people that live in lasuma what they now call the Basarwa in botswana and they are uh, that little village is right on the border with zimbabwe right opposite a another part of wilderness which interconnects with botswana's wilderness and so you've got wildlife galore there as well mm-hmm. and you, it, it's it's undesignated land um but there's very little development um, and you yeah, can, People
0: are trying to keep it as well as possible as yes, they develop, right? Yes, mm-hmm.
1: there is a bit of development going in there because land is hard to come by in and our population has grown because of tourism um, and economic um, upliftment. Um, we've had an immigration of people into Chobi District because mm-hmm. of tourism. Um, so, you know, and everybody needs a house and they need infrastructure and facilities and utilities, etc. So there is, there is some development in assume but it's still... Quite wild. Um, it's not unusual. Um, the other day, I was cycling through there, and we had a herd of eighty to hundred eland Amazing. on the cycle. So wow. you know, it, it's one of these areas where you don't need to go into a national park to see wildlife. Mm-hmm. The birding there is fantastic. It's a it's a vulture colony, okay. uh, breeding colony. Um, it's a rec- uh, an important uh, bird area, recognised both internationally and regionally um, for its vulture breeding uh, importance. So, you know, it's a really good place for birding. It's a good place to see some wildlife without having to go into the national park.
0: Yeah. And then you know, if people still want to have the sun down, it's close enough that they can. If they want to do the Choby
1: Sunset yeah. Cruise. And there are a number of lodges there as well, which mm-hmm. which offer that um, little, bit of, little bit of extra. And they, in fact, can offer a night drive. It's the only place in, in Choby where you can do a night drive is with the lodges that are, are based out of Lusuma.
0: Because it's undesignated land. It's undesignated. It's not forest reserve, for yeah. it's not yeah. national park. Yeah. Amazing. And how, how far from Lusuma is it to the gate of the
1: park? Um It'll take about, it's about a half an hour. Okay. But the, you, you, you're, you're driving through the bush. Yeah. It's, it's basically your game drive starts when you leave Lusuma because you don't come through town. They take mm-hmm. a, they a cut road. line through the forest. Um, and uh, you, you basically... Your game drive starts from the moment you leave the mm-hmm. leave the lodge. Yeah. yeah,
0: and then Kasani's also um, got some new developments happened in the last few years. You've got the beautiful new airport that's come in, mm-hmm. um, which again we won't talk about Mount Kasani rivalry. <laughs> <laughs> Kasani got its beautiful new airport. <laughs> Mounds are still being cobbled together.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: Um, and, and when was that built? That's been operational since uh,
1: 2019, I think it okay. opened. Um, and it, it is it's very it's very switch.
0: and has very it changed switch. things in terms of tourist experience coming um, through an airport like
1: that uh, it's hard to tell because all of a sudden in 2020 something happened
0: <laughs> and uh, derailed the of, plans <laughs> it's,
1: it's sort of messed up all the plans that everybody had made um, so it, it's very hard to ascertain yet if it's had an impact Obviously, Kasani is, is in direct competition with two other major tourism centers, Victoria Falls and Livingston.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and they both have very swish airports, um, international wide body jet airports. Um, so this one has been upgraded to be a wide body jet airport. Um, and we'll see. We'll, we'll see. The, the whole idea is Botswana wants to um, compete on that level. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah. And personally. try
0: and avoid the. Forcing people to or go to South Africa to connect back up to Botswana. Correct. yeah. yeah and I think that is a valid point just to mention at this point, is that if you do want to get to this part of the world, you can get here via Livingston and via Vic Falls. You don't yeah. need to go to Johannesburg. It's only an
1: hour's drive away.
0: Yeah, and there's yeah. lots of transfers. And the bo- all borders are open with Zambia at the moment, so... If we wanted to get somewhere, that'd be our best bet, right? Yes. (laughs) With all the caveats that 2021 brings.
1: Yes. (laughs) Yes. Um, Under normal circumstances, it's a cinch. Yeah. Um, But our circumstances, as we know, are not normal.
0: And in a normal circumstances, obviously being in Kasani and doing a trip over to Victoria Falls is also very easy and very doable.
1: Absolutely. So a lot of people will stay here and part of their Three to four nights stay in Kasani would be a day trip to Victoria Falls. Mm -hmm. Um, And then, I mean, with all the opportunities and activities that can be done Mm -hmm. uh, over there. And it it is, it's quite literally an hour's drive there Um, through a park again. Through a park. um, And you can do the falls, you can do an elephant experience, you can do uh, a bungee jump, you can do, you know, it's got all of those. it can do you can do all the adrenaline sports there, uh, uh, uh shopping really good shopping there, um, and be back here mm. for sundowners, yeah. So,
0: and then choose your spot be in Kasani with the river very feeling very accessible, be yes. in Kisangula where you've got mm. the proximity but a bit more wild, or be in Lusuma where you've got you're back in the real bush having yep. just spent the day looking at
1: Victoria Falls. There's actually a, a very wide selection for just about everybody's taste. And we haven't even spoken about our other little town, which has its own little tourism industry, which is blossoming a little bit, and that's Mm Panamatanga. So Mm -hmm. Panamatenga is essentially a farming community to the south of Kasani, very close to the Zimbabwe border as well. And they've got a number of um, lodges and stuff, just a very small number. Um, And they do day trips into the Chobi, and they've got access into the Chobi from the southern – Poha Gate okay. um, as well so they is that the
0: gate that's then the one that you take if you want to get to Nohatsa area That's
1: if you're coming from Nohatsa to, to go Tengu. to Panamatenga so okay. Nohatsa sits sort of in between closer to Poha it sits in between Kasani and and uh, Panamatenga mm-hmm. the Poha Gate okay you know.
0: because in the episode with James Wilson he was talking about how Nukhatsa, um is an area that if you want to experience Chobi without having the crowds, Mm. that that area is a really great way, area to explore. So then from from the Panabatinga Lodges, they're going into the quiet back country of the Chobe. Absolutely.
1: And the game viewing there is very good. It's Mm. a different type of habitat. There's no river, but they've got water holes and Mm. um, it's the water hole. Some of them are pumped and some of them are just stay filled with water from the rains until late into the dry season. They're very, very large pans. Um, so the and game then massive, there can be quite good
0: yeah if they, I mean, if, they the, if it's the only net water around in an area like that as far as it is from the river I'm sure then the pans are very very productive
1: yes they are, they are.
0: Yeah. Uh, and
1: again it's my, it's good elephant country uh, but you'll find everything else and a few other things that you won't get to see so much in other places some of your specialist antelope like rhone and sable mm. are more, more common down in that area than there then you would find them around here mm.
0: and then of course we're talking about the development that's happened the other big development is the bridge which is linking botswana and zambia and um it's i, I was lucky enough to see it from the river about 18 months ago and it, was, it looks like a very striking um, structure and it's now done but not yet open am i right
1: yes i believe it's opening um very soon so you know, we keep hearing these rumors that it's opening very soon. Let's see what happens. It always, it always strikes me that um, back in in 1905, I think it was, they managed to build the Vic Falls Bridge in 17 months. I know that's such this an one's taken 17 heat. years.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and um, it's a narrow river where they built the Vic Falls Bridge in 1905. Um, but it's considerably was a bit... considerably further to. The- <laughs> drop
1: (laughs) yeah so but yeah it is it's architecturally it's striking Um, and it 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 literally can be seen from from Kasani up on the hill of Kasani you just saw it coming down down here today yeah beautiful Um, we are hoping uh, one of the things about Kazangula is that it's also a, a a transport hub for Africa not just for here so we're a nexus for um transport trucks to move from the ports of southern Africa, South Africa through to the mines and towns of East Central. and Central Africa. Mm. And because of that Nexus we we get a clog a backlog and a clog of trucks here at times particularly now when the river is coming up and the ferries are Star. battling against the mm. current. Uh, the line of trucks can go kilometres out of town.
0: I was so, not. I was quite surprised yesterday it wasn't further up because I'm assuming that's just a matter of logistics all over the Africa having slowed down with the pandemic and border restrictions yeah. and all of that. But when we were here in November, I mean, I think the the line started in Lesuma,
1: pretty much, and that's how it was a week ago. Okay. Uh, but one of the ferries broke down, and uh, when that happens, yeah, everything. You know, it's half the number of trucks are getting across mm. the river. So we're hoping that when the board, when the, the bridge opens and the new border um, protocol is implemented. Which is going to be a one-stop. It's a one-stop. One-stop really going in and one-stop really going great, yeah. Um So we're hoping that that's going to ease ease everything and, ease the and get these trucks right. moving through here a lot quicker. Yeah,
0: because yeah, I'm sure that has an impact on the town in terms of you've got this beautiful natural resource that is the river and the, the bushveld and, and whatever, because the, the, you know the environment offers. And then you've got trucks that are lingering, trying to get through. That they're not here by choice, but it's sort of a it's it's a
1: conflict of interest in a way, isn't it? It, is. it it is. But you know what still absolutely amazes me all the time that I've been here, is that you can drive down that line of trucks, and as you're driving down that line of trucks, you're sharing that line of trucks with elephant, mm-hmm. impala, buffalo. And you think to yourself, how is this, can have this trucks, these big internet trucks are an icon of development. And yet here's the wildlife nonplussed. They completely couldn't care Mm. that these trucks are there. So it's really, uh, Kasani is at times quite ironic. You think with all the development that, you know, the wildlife would scarper, but it doesn't, it it lives with us. And many of the people living here in Kasani, the, the, the people who have been generations here are quite happy to live alongside the wildlife. Mm. More more than happy. Um, people coming from further afield in Gabs and... They're less comfortable Yeah, they, they're less comfortable with having wildlife in their backyard. Um, and they, they take a little while to get used to it. But uh, the people who've been here for generations are pretty much used to it.
0: Um, and you've also got something Mound doesn't have. You've got a golf course.
1: We do. <laughs> we do. A little nine-hole golf course. Um, and it's... Uh, part of the national it's registered with the national union um so we have in the past when there's no corona we've been we've had national competitions here mm-hmm. um it's a attached to one of the hotels in the uh, in town and um they yeah it's a good it's a good little golf course yeah, yeah really yeah. good golf course
0: and then you mentioned Serendella earlier can we chat a little bit about what was Serendella and and the sort of like how that impacted kasani you say like people were moved out of the park. That sounds like an interesting story.
1: Yeah, so uh, if, we, if we take a little bit of the, the more recent history of this area, of Chobi District, um, before Botswana got its independence, when it was still a British protectorate, there was a, a very large tract of land, which was about 22,000 square kilometres, tract of land which the British administrators thought would be a very good idea to make into a game reserve and Choby Game Reserve came about, um, and that eventually in 1967 became Choby National Park. When it became a national park, the main settlement was a little town called Serendella. Um, Serendella sits slap bang in the middle of Choby National Park. Its main industry was actually timber, so a lot of this wilderness area is known for its uh, Zambezi teak, mm-hmm. which is a beautiful, bright red wood, um, which is impervious to fungus and termites and so on. So it makes very good railway sleepers or railway ties for any of your American listeners. Um, and so, the, you know, the, it was that wood was harvested for many, many decades for laying railway line around Africa, as well as making some spectacular furniture. Well, when they made it a national park, that timber industry basically started to fold in on itself. It started to implode, and they needed to move everybody out of out of Serendella, and they created a, the settlement of Kasani and they moved this very small population of Serendella um, to Kasani right on the border of the national park, except for one guy, a chap by the name of Pop Lamont. Um, he had lived there pretty much his entire life. He was in his 70s at the time. And he quite literally said, over my dead body, are you moving me out of serendella And instead of causing any sort of Hi. hassles or fuss, they just said, sure, no problem. Pop was a very interesting guy. Um, he didn't own a car and he used to walk to Kasani from serendella along the river to go and do his shopping to what was known as Suba Stores was owned by this is our our, our non super supermarket, um, and Suba Stores was where he would go and do whatever shopping he needed to do, and he'd walk back, which is a day trip for him, you know, to walk between all the elephants and everything. And eventually, he got a bicycle, and then he would cycle into town to go and do whatever he needed to do. And sure enough, he passed away um, at his home on the banks naturally, of naturally, naturally, nothing uh, to think do he was with this late seventies, early eighties. And indeed was buried next to his house. So if you go into Chobe National Park and you go to Serendella picnic site, just before you get to the picnic site coming from Kasani, you start to see evidence of old foundations Mm -hmm. and brickwork and and so on. And then you'll see an old house, which is pretty camouflaged now uh, because nature has taken it over um, and it's got trees growing over it and under it and through it and so on. And right next to that house is a plaque um, where Poplamont was was buried. And
0: is that the only remaining structure? other than That
1: is the only remaining above-ground structure. There are some foundation stones that you can still see there. You can see where one of the loading docks was. Um, It's just a line of bricks, um, uh, loading docks, where they used to load the timber onto boats that would then take it down the river. Mm -hmm. Um, And, yeah, it's... It's an interesting little, little place. It's also the only place in Chobi where you'll find some beautiful flowering plants that are not meant to be there. <laughs> so people in those no, days no, no, would plant all sorts of non-indigenous plants, plants and yeah. they, they've sort of flourished yeah, there.
0: And when would Serendella have been founded then? I mean, how long back, how long it was, was that 40s. community alive yeah.
1: well, there for? Okay. It was in the 40s when the, when the um, timber industry started to, to take hold, mm-hmm. you know. Okay. Um, and it was one of these things that the British protect. The British administration thought would be, a, you know, a good industry. Good industry mm. to have. Um, and so they encouraged some of their settlers to go into into not only Serendella but also what we now call the Chobe enclave. There was also mm-hmm. some forestry going there. And interestingly, anybody who flies over Chobe um, will notice these pathways, these elephant pathways that are set at regular intervals and in very straight lines going down to the river. And those are, in fact, the old firebreaks that they had during the uh, forestry days, okay. um, which the elephants started just to use.
0: use, and, then and
1: as started. the firebreaks have grown over, the elephants have continued to use them, and the elephants have just kept that single path open for them. And mm. people often ask gee do elephants always walk in such a straight line so and so equally spaced yeah. so yeah uh, okay. the next time you fly over the Chogo, anybody listening who comes to visit botswana you'll notice these very regularly spaced spaced elephant pathways hmm. yeah.
0: and then you mentioned the enclave so that uh, i mean you've got you've got kasani sitting up in the northeastern corner of botswana mm. and kasani being this collection of the border and kazangula kasani town the suma valley going south and then you've got the National Park. And then you've got this wonderfully weird little triangle taken out of the park as you go west, which is the Chobe Enclave. Mm-hmm. That area is there because those are traditional villages that were…
1: Yes. So those people- are traditional villages that were there long before the National Park mm-hmm. was even right. yeah. Um And they are It is absolutely an enclave. They are surrounded by Chobe National Park on three sides and an international border on one side. Um, So, those people absolutely live with wildlife, Mm -hmm. Um, at times, not happily, Mm -hmm. Um, and I know that Botswana has been in the news in the last couple of years, uh, particularly with uh, wildlife conflict, and uh, elephant and predator wildlife conflict in the Chobe enclave is quite high. So it's quite hard to grow a crop there without the elephants trashing it or have cattle and goats without lions and leopard stealing and raiding your stock. So it, it, it makes the news quite frequently for some of the wrong reasons, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. But again, there are lodges there that access both the, what we call Chobe West, so you can access the western riverfront of the Chobe from the Chobi enclave, but you're also much closer to the Savuti region as mm-hmm. well of uh, the Chobe, which is one of my favorite places in the whole of Botswana.
0: James Wilson and I chatted about it the episode we spoke about the park but again as is very evident and how much we've talked about today there is so much to talk about mm-hmm. about chobi it is such a big place and savuti actually he did a very good job in covering the sort of the gist of mm-hmm. the park but there's so much detail you can go into and then that border that you mentioned is in Goma um which goes into namibia yeah. and then that there's again another bridge yeah there so is
1: there's, that so bridge there's the three there bridges yeah
0: there's the bridge with namibia there's the new one that's been built with Zambia. And then there's, well, it's not with not a Botswana bridge, but you've got the the bridge at Big Falls between Zimbabwe yeah. and Zambia that yeah. are all crossing there's this Zambia. massive, and even, massive river system. there's even strong. one further west at uh,
1: Shishiki. In, yes, in, up in on Zambia. the Zambia, yeah.
0: on Zambezi. Yeah. yeah. We're talking about sort of being in the news for the wrong reasons and um, the river and our neighbouring countries, Sududu Island was one of Botswana's favourite stories to tell because it's one we won. <laughs> it's a story we won. Rightfully. <laughs> so um, <laughs> it's also part of the history of this area. So can we chat a little bit about uh, why why the flag of Botswana flies on Sududu mm. Island with so much pride?
1: <laughs> okay, so Sududu Island's got a really checkered history. And if we're really going to start the story, we've got to start back in 1890 that is as you may recall or maybe even spoken on some of your podcasts when the colonial powers at the time decided to sit around the dining room table with a ruler and a pencil and carve up this continent of africa for all their own profits and reasons um, and at that time uh, the germans and the english were great allies and they decided that they were going to take the, the the lion's share of africa um, and it just so happened that the pencil and the ruler um, divided German Southwest Africa from uh, Bechuanaland, A treaty was entered into that discussed where the boundary would be. And it was the deepest channel of the Chobe River um, would be the boundary between German Southwest Africa and land. That sounds so easy. That really <laughs> sounds so easy. But slap bang in the middle of the Chobe is this incredible island. Sudulu Island is. um, I don't know if you've spoken about alluvial fans when you've talked about the Okavango Delta.
0: Very very little um, in terms of any history or uh, geology. We've been talking very much from a um, tourism experience. So you can educate us.
1: So uh, Sudulu Island is in fact an alluvial fan. Where we sit right now used to be the middle of a giant lake, uh, one of the largest lakes that's ever occurred in Africa. Was the size of switzerland five million years ago it drained it emptied it created victoria falls and um it filled up a few more times emptied a few more times and eventually it has what we see today the remnants of it are savuti makarikari pans okabanga delta and the chobi river that's the remnants of that giant lake when that lake drained um a lot of these fossil rivers were created of which Sududu island is a remnant of that river all the alluvial soils were deposited into the Chobe River and it created this magnificent grassland. Now the Namibians in latter years, found that this was a really good place to feed your cattle. And they would come onto what is they call kasikili Island and they would feed uh, graze their cattle on this island. The Botswana, who were also hunter-gatherers, liked the island because it was wildlife. Then along came the colonials, and they div- divvied everything up and didn't ask the locals what they wanted and how they wanted things divvied up. Um, and anyway, Sudiru Island became this bone of contention. It's a grassland that goes underwater every year. Currently, right now, it's underwater. It goes underwater every year, but it became this bone of contention between two countries that was argued over during, before the First World War, after the First World War, Right up until, through the apartheid government of South Africa, through independence of, through independence of Namibia, everybody was fighting over this beautiful piece of grassland.
0: Let me just say to the listeners, that's not that big.
1: No, it's three square kilometers.
0: <laughs> it's not like it's going to change the- a huge amount. <laughs> but is. as you say, it, yeah. it's, it's rich grazing. So, yeah. you know, and, and that, that changed. And, and, there's, and then by then, obviously, if there's an ongoing fight, there's a, a certain amount of reputation and ego involved in winning this now.
1: Yeah. So then in, in 1984, this was still during the apartheid government in South Africa. South Africa had been given the mandate to manage what was now Southwest Africa. That mandate was taken away from them by the UN, but the South Africans at the time didn't listen to anybody. Um, and Botswana tried to negotiate with South Africa, but South Africa, through the United Nations, had lost all negotiating powers. And then in 1984, a military patrol, boat patrol, South African military boat patrol, following their map, which said that the boundary followed the southern channel of the Chobe River, went into the southern channel of the Chobe River. The Botswana Defense Force, looking at their map that said that the Southern Channel was Botswana territory, opened fire on the South Africans. And let's just put
0: this in context. There was the Angolan War going on at the time.
1: There was the Namibian Independence War and the Angolan War all going on at the same time with South Africa firmly in the middle of every skirmish that there was to be had.
0: And so this was all happening north of us. There was a fair amount of military tension in the air.
1: Yes. And, And Botswana's... A defense force was brand new, absolutely brand new. They only had a police force up until the, the early 80s. Um, and so they they opened fire on these South Africans. Nobody was hurt, which was a miracle because uh, one of the guys, the rifle that he had across his chest took a bullet. Sure. Yeah. So that's nearly dragged Botswana into this whole, this whole regional conflict. So what did the Botswana government decide to do? They said, well, if the colonials can do it, we can do it. So they went onto the island and they planted a flag and uh, possession is nine tenths of the law and nobody touched the island. Eventually after independence, the Namibians put in their first claim for the island and Botswana and Namibia were butting heads uh, constantly about it. Regionally, they tried to resolve it, didn't win. Eventually it went to the Hague in 1995 And it was resolved in 1999, Um, and the Hague uh, International Court Justice decided that Botswana owned Sri Island.
0: Based on the fact that the deepest channel is on the northern side side of the
1: the island. And that flag
0: is still standing
1: and it's still flying up there. And that treaty from 1890 was the legal basis that stood firm, which is an amazing thing that that treaty stood firm um from 111 years ago
0: so. so you're talking about um military skirmishes in the area and one of the things stories i loved when we lived in livingston um was the fact that if i'm right the first german land taken in i can't remember if it was world war one or two which one was it world one war. world one war was fort caprivi yeah. and the the, the message that Germany and, Eng- and, the, and Britain were at war got to the British before it got to the Germans. Mm-hmm. And the British garrison at Vic Falls decided, well, let's go and have a fun mm-hmm. little time because, you know, we're living on the banks of Zambezi here. And off they went up river and went and said to the Germans at Fort Caprivi, we...
1: we're at war. You've got to surrender. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and, and they did. They had no idea about this. They weren't. They, prepared, didn't, they, they... they
1: didn't even have a military presence. There was a guy there by the name of Victor. Uh, von Frankenberg and Proslich. I think his mates called him Vic. He, uh, when the, the, the British South African police arrived at his doorstep, he had no idea what was going on. And they said, dude, we're at war. Now, my guess is because there were so few um, people here at that time that these guys had probably had beers together. They'd yeah. probably been they'd probably mates. And they said, look, you know, you've got to surrender because war has been declared between our nations. And uh, so the guy said, "Let, please, let me do one thing. Let me go outside and fire my rifle. And they said, sure. So he went outside, fired his rifle, came back in and said, Now never let it be known that I surrendered without firing a shot.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and then he was, was, threw, waved his white,
1: his white, so flag, white flag and, 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 and yeah. that was the
0: first German land.
1: Yeah, that was in, in 1914.
0: I mean, it's not surprising that there's a fair amount of that kind of history in a place that is four countries meeting. Yeah. And as you say, because of sitting around a table and drawing up a map of Africa, looking at where the rivers
1: join. It, it's it's funny because it, it sits as an example of so many things that have happened in Africa. This tiny little three square kilometer piece of land sits as a, an example of what has happened throughout the continent. Wars are still being fought over those guys drawing lines yeah. all over the map you know um so yeah it's it's we will we'll continue to reap the the benefits of that get yeah. together over a glass of sherry on the dining room table so,
0: but there, there are i mean there are now um also at the same time having talked about the conflict there are also really good initiatives happening in the area you've got the is it casa what's casa. The, the casa declaration yeah. that um so there is some kind of working together to try and absolutely As you said, the Namibian grazing with our Botswana wildlife conflict, that does continue to raise its heads. Mm. Um, You've got fishing on the river along with wildlife, which also can be a conflict. You've got um, transport hub of Kazangula. We've got black market ferrying of fuel between countries. And
1: alcohol at the moment.
0: <laughs> now it's coming the other way around, is yeah. it? <laughs> alcohol and fuel doing the sort of trade. Yeah. You know, I mean we're, con- we're, bo- we're in a, anywhere in the world where there's borders, you're gonna to tend to find that kind of thing. So but let's what what's the history behind CASA and trying to create a so, more of a unified voice scenario?
1: One of the more modern conservation initiatives throughout Africa is to have trans-frontier parks, which encompass not just... You know, they encompass national parks in several countries. CASA is the most ambitious of all of these. It's five countries. Angola, Namibia, Botswana, Zambia, and Zimbabwe. And the, the CASA trans-frontier conservation area will cover an enormous tract of land. Enormous tract of land. It'll, it'll cover... The, the whole of the Okavanga Delta, uh, the whole of the Okavanga from its source to uh, Mount, um, and it'll go as far so as, uh, as far west as that, northwest of that in, in Angola, and as su- far southeast as Wangi National Park in uh, in Zimbabwe.
0: And obviously, then it also includes a,
1: a huge number of people, absolutely, so, and, and cultures and communities. Yep. So the, it's it's a challenge. It's an enormous challenge. And I find it quite ironic as well that it's being driven by the Germans. You know, after all the history that's gone on, the, the Germany agencies are basically managing the Kaiser initiative. Um, so, yes, it's a big challenge. Uh, wildlife sh- conflict is a real problem and mm-hmm. trying to get people to open corridors because that's the whole thing is corridors need to be open so wildlife can move. Um, and the only way you can get that to happen is to... Is to give people a source of income from wildlife that they don't mind living with it. Mm. Um, And uh, as I said earlier, you know, you take some people like the folk in the Chobe enclave. They don't love elephants like Mm. I love elephants. You know, when your crop of maize gets trashed in one night, just the day before you're going to reap it. You don't like elephants like we like elephants. Well,
0: my so. previous episode was with Kani and Kay Motswana who grew up in khonotsoka and Godigwa. Mm. So they're also communities that are having a similar challenge. But I think that you find in this part of the world, the challenge is amplified by the fact that the those elephants are coming up against a boundary. Absolutely. Where in... Um, in the delta where Kay and Kani are from, the elephants might be going through those fields, but they still can keep moving. Mm. Well, what's happening in the enclave and what's happening along the river frontier is if they cross over, they're getting into um, farming land. Mm. And so there's this constant, it's really, it's a, it's a boundary that they're facing this river rather than it being, as you say, a corridor through. Um, and that's what makes it slightly different or like just even more heightened, the conflict.
1: Absolutely. So, and it's going to take... Very concerted efforts from both sides, both from the, the, the folks running the cars initiative and from communities. And it's an ongoing thing. Namibia's had quite a bit of success there. They've opened up conservancies mm-hmm. where people on the ground get to manage what they're doing with the wildlife. They get to decide what's going to happen. And these conservancies are actually showing both profit and increased wildlife and happier communities. So they're trying to get these models and no model fits every situation. Mm -hmm. Each model has to be adapted for the community um, and how people view wildlife in that particular area and what industries they're involved with. It's a challenge. Mm -hmm. But I've got to off my cap to them most other agencies would have given up by now and these guys yeah. are like a dog with a bone they, and when system. was
0: it sort of when did it first start what's the history of cars that's
1: a good to... question i can't remember the year but it's been going for we're I mean, talking some decades now probably about 15, 15 years, years now. now
0: yeah and i mean of course this is a massive diplomacy issue
1: ultimately Absolutely. The,
0: the diplomacy conservation yeah. resource management it's a
1: and then some governments just it's just so far down their list of priorities you take angola for yeah. instance that southeast corner of their country is it's, Un, a, it's, it's a blank spot on yeah. their maps they've yeah. got nothing there they're not interested. you you've spoken with steve i believe and he's yeah. been up in that area so yeah that's a, it, it's just a blank blotch on their map mm. and it's not a priority for them the communities no, not. there are not a priority so it's very difficult to get the angolan government to put that up in their list of priorities whereas for the namibians yes it's a priority for botswana it's a priority um, and, you know, Zambia and Zimbabwe have their issues as well. So, wow, you know, you've yeah. got to be a diplomatic extraordinaire yeah. to yeah. to manage this. So.
0: We've talked a little bit about you know this idea of Kasani's positioning, resulting in it being involved in all these interesting stories over the years. One of my favourite stories about Kasani is the baobab prison. Can we share that one? <laughs> Yes, I know it's in every travel guide but to me it's a very <laughs> charming story and every time I drive past the police station I make sure I see the Baobab
1: you know this the, this town has so many idiosyncrasies and, and quirks, it's such a quirky place um, and the prison, the Baobab prison just demonstrates one of those quirks, when the first police station that was here they didn't have a prison, they didn't have anywhere to lock anybody up but they had this hollowed out, hollow baobab that was in, on the police grounds. so they It was naturally hollowed out. Nat- naturally hollowed out. Um, and so they they hung a wrought iron gate on it and a padlock. And they would use it, you know, to lock up the odd drunk and guy who'd done something naughty, you know. The um, guy waiting for his shambulcon. Yeah, exactly. So, um, he yes, that was, that was the first prison. In Kasani, yeah, you know. but it doesn't stop there. Our prison stories don't stop. <laughs> we now have a fully fledged prison in Kasani, um, with all the razor wire and uh, cell blocks and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera, um, because it services the entire district. Mm-hmm. Uh, not that we have that many criminals, but there you go. Uh, when I first came to Kasani, and I, I asked a policeman, you know, do we do we have any serious crime here? He said, Yes, we do. We had a car stolen last year, you know. And I thought, wow, this is this is one of the places I want to live if that's the kind of crime that we, that we have. Um, and then there was a there was a, a time when malaria was quite bad here in Kasani, and quite a lot of the prison staff got affected by the malaria. They were laid off sick, and they ended up not having enough prison staff to look after the prisoners over the weekends. So on Friday afternoon, they would open the prison and let all nearly all the prisoners out and say, be back here on Monday. And they will <laughs> rock up back at the prison on Monday morning to be re-locked up for a week. So, yeah, that's you know, our prison stories don't stop. In this yeah, town. It's, that's, it's, quite a, it's quite a quirky place. Yeah, I love, like that. That, yeah. I
0: love that. I love that. And um, it's a bit like the, the the other quirky part of Kasani that I really enjoy is the, bar, the border post with Namibia because of Impalila Island. So we're talking yeah. about Sududu, and obviously Botswana mm-hmm. won that one. But Namibia do have their own island. And um, it's pretty much, on. It, I mean, it's it's more physically part of Kasani than it is part of the Caprivi.
1: Absolutely, yeah.
0: But it is theirs, there's no mm-hmm. doubt about it. And so they've got a border post that services it that's a jetty.
1: Yeah, border post, it's, a, it's on a rock above a jetty, basically, and yeah, that's the border post. So how far is it by boat from the border post? Five minutes. So it really is. Um, it is. It's right. That's right. It, it, there's. Um, it's where the rapids are in Kasani. The rapids separate Impalila Island from, from Kasani. Just the width of the rapids, and uh, the uh, all the people that live on Impalila Island get all of their supplies from Kasani. So they've pretty much got nothing there. They've got no real access to stores and fuel and other forms of infrastructure and postal services and all that sort of stuff. So they use Kasani um, as their port of call. So we'd have this constant ferrying backwards and forwards. Um, so, yeah, we'd have this towing and fraying all the time, all day. Uh, that border post is, is quite a little, these two jetties operating in tandem.
0: So as you say, actually a very active border post considering mm-hmm.
1: it's… Very. Right, that's and,
0: and we talked earlier about the Kasani airport, but there's also stories about kasani airport from back in the day was it like the wheelbarrow
1: yes so where the golf course is now that used to be the kasani runway um and yeah the, the 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 baggage handler was a guy with a, with a wheelbarrow um and we had two types of aircraft landing here yeah? we had the, the regular little planes coming in um and air botswana and their little plane coming in and we had the flying catalina i don't know if you've heard of the flying catalina but that used to we were on their their stop through Africa. Um, and it was it was a plane that would go all the way through all the water bodies across Africa, Lake Victoria, Lake Tanganyika, Victoria Falls, Chobe, um, and it would bring tourists. Into this part of the world. Yeah,
0: that's when travel yeah. sounds really romantic, doesn't yeah. it? There's this most beautiful mural mm-hmm. in the Vic Falls Hotel. That's, that's the plan Yeah, and you just about this plane flying across Africa, and for me, that is just mm-hmm. the romance of travel. Like, if if, 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 I, if there was anything that was going to get me into the travel industry, it was probably standing in that Vic Falls Hotel looking at that mural age mm-hmm. eighteen. So, w- when did the flying boats stop?
1: Uh, it must have been about 1990. Oh Somewhere really? There, 19, as recently 19, as that? Yeah, just Amazing. before I,
0: I got to. You know all these sort of stories, and and you said right <laughs> at the beginning that it's the community of Kasani that really make it home for you, and it sounds mm. like you know these these characters that keep just keep on popping up, but that are what make Kasani an interesting place.
1: It's, mm. uh, Absolutely. You know, yeah. many um, of them shall not be named.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you know these you, all these stories you hear living in the country about you know when the emergency stop with the cars all lighting the runway in the mm-hmm. middle of the night because Absolutely. a plane needed to come and yeah. evacuate someone yeah. out and
1: yeah. those People kind of do stories. That. Yeah. You know, it's just one phone call and everybody pulls together. You mm-hmm. know, at the, the town is still very much like that. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, we, we pride ourselves in the fact that when we've had fires um, at some of the lodges or businesses or whatever, we put the fire out before the fire department gets there. Mm-hmm so and that's just the community pulling together Mm. um so yeah it's it's one of those kind of towns where everybody sort of pulls in the same direction as much as possible even though many of us are in competition with each other for the the tourist dollar yeah um but when it when push comes to shove we all stand together Yeah. yeah
0: Yeah. Well, I hope um, that, you know, anyone who does travel through Kasani um, after having listened to this episode can now s- sense that a little bit, mm-hmm. you know, that the quirkiness of this town and and its neighbours and how it got built and these stories. And I it's one of the things I've always loved about Kasani is it's got a little bit of a... You know, frontier edge mm-hmm. going to it, and um, you've shared some great insight into the history of the area. And uh, I My mean, pleasure. we could keep talking. <laughs> we could talk about <laughs> history, like <laughs> geological stuff, mm-hmm. and, oh, and Livingstone. <laughs> we could we can keep going. But um, thanks so much for that, Grant. That's been really, really great. And I, I really do hope that somebody, whether they're staying in. Kasani and, a, you know, a, a bigger resort with access to a jetty and straight onto the river or in Kazangula with the forest and the bushbuck or out in Lusuma with the lions roaring. Mm. But no matter where they choose to stay in this area, that they feel that um, history a little bit more and, and appreciate where why this part of Botswana deserves its episode. Oh, pleasure. Um, are you ready for your snapshot session? Yeah, go for it. All right. I'm looking forward to hearing your viewpoints because um, – as I said at the beginning, you know, you're, you're, you're really an old Botswana hand and you're one of the people who got me into this industry. So let's, let's hear what you have to say. Uh, what is your most precious or valued piece of safari equipment and why?
1: Before 2020, I would have said my binoculars. I don't go anywhere without them. Everything else can stay behind, but the binoculars are the first thing that, that get packed. Post-2020, it's clients.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Somebody clients. to share it with.
1: <laughs> yeah, someone to share my sightings with. So, uh, yeah, so right now, my most valuable safari thing is clients. Yeah. Well, I miss them terribly.
0: Yeah. It's so interesting that you talk about the binoculars because everybody says that. I actually need to change this question. I keep on saying that, and I keep on not changing it, but I need to change it to say, other than your binoculars. But I Anybody do love your Anybody who comes on
1: safari, they should, should hear that it it should be hammered exactly don't share binoculars no. sharing binoculars is like sharing underwear it's not done <laughs> or in the modern, the modern
0: version sharing your mask <laughs> yes, exactly <laughs> the 2021 version yeah. don't share your binoculars don't share your mask bring your own yeah. um, no and in, you know I had a great episode with Steve Amira talking about the skies of Botswana and he mm. was just talking about even from that perspective never mind the bird watching mm. and the wildlife if you have a pair of binoculars the night sky becomes so much more impressive and That's they right. don't have to be fancy no they just have to A pair that you can look through exclusively without having to share is better than a pair of Swarovski or Leica that you have to
1: share. Absolutely.
0: Which one destination would you recommend a first-time visitor to Botswana
1: visits? Well, it's a World Heritage Site, so it's got to be the Okabanga Delta. Mm-hmm. You know, people, there's certain places in Africa that, that stand out across the continent. Serengeti, Victoria Falls, Okabanga Delta. So anybody coming to Botswana has got to do Okabanga Delta. There's so much more in the country, but make sure Akhavanga Delta is on the itinerary.
0: And that means a lot for somebody who does as much traveling around the world as you do. I mean, mm-hmm. I mentioned in the introduction that you do the Smithsonian tours, and that takes you to the highlights of the world. Yeah. I mean, and, and and then on your private capacity, you're going to see the things that are on my bucket list in mm-hmm. Africa. So the fact that what's on our doorstep is that, that's, that's great. That really yeah. highlights just how impressive and how special it is.
1: I have never heard of anybody who's been to the Okavango Delta that hasn't raved about it. Mm. So, yeah. And that's,
0: I mean, it's a huge area. Mm. We still episode eleven into the podcast. We haven't even really touched on what the Delta yeah. really offers in the different areas. But when you say the Okavango Delta, you meaning all of it, whether it's yeah the the Moremi side, whether it's the private concessions, whatever. If you can get in there into the wetlands, get,
1: in there. get to see the place. It, it, yeah. all of it's beautiful. So it's just uh, you can cherry pick where where on in the Delta you want to go to. And they are, there's a lot to offer as you've probably mentioned on your podcast yeah. a lot to offer so but yeah make sure it's on your bucket list fantastic one resource being a book
0: a website a podcast um everyone coming to botswana
1: should know about none of those guiding i think uh, you know you there's a lot of people who like to to self-drive look after themselves um but I, I honestly believe that if you're going to get the best out of Botswana, get a guide. Get good guys, There can be the, the local guides. Are, we've got some of the best guides in Botswana. Our local guides, um, and even if you are self-driving, put a put aside part of your trip to do a to do some guided activities because the insight that the guys will give you is so much more than you will get out of a guidebook or a website, whatever, um, whether it's a cultural insight um, or wildlife insight or finding stuff, because mm. their senses are attuned to, to stuff that you may be wanting to see. So I, I would say that um, of all of our resources, our guiding is probably the most important.
0: And it's great that you raised this one as an answer, because my last episode or the previous episode to this one was with um, Kani Motswana, and we were talking about um, being in tune with the bush and how if you are open to what the bush offers, your experience can just be enhanced. And that's exactly what the guides bring. They, mm. As you said, it's that insight and that it's that being in tune with the environment that um, is really where you can learn from them.
1: They um, also know where birds nest mm. and they know where things happen and they can take mm. you to these things that you wouldn't find on your own yeah. otherwise. So yeah. it's, it's, it's important.
0: Well, that's a great answer. Your top sundowner, which, you know, at the moment, <laughs> it's a touchy subject, <laughs> considering Botswana currently has a booze ban. Um, your top sundowner, destination or drink or piece of advice to have a great sunset,
1: sundowner? Okay, so des- we'll do all three. Destination, um, anywhere where you can see the horizon and, and uh, you've got a, a wildlife focal point, so a water hole the riverbank, and a view of the sun setting, um, any one of those is absolutely fine. Botswana's got gazillions. I could never pick There's out a so many single options. one. Um, drink for me, uh at guides are not supposed to drink when they're out on, on an activity, but to hell with that, um, is an ice cold beer on a hot October safari. Hands down, the best the best, so, so sundown sundowner drink.
0: So if you're going to talk beer, which no one said beer yet, so it's a great answer. um, Which beers do you recommend a traveler asks for when they get asked what beer should be packed
1: in the cool box? Um, The traveler should ask for a local brew. And we've got a number now that we used to just say there's only one, um, and that's the the St. Louis. But there are a number of new sort of craft beers coming on the market. And there's one particularly good one from Mount. um, (laughs) And I would definitely recommend that that gets packed into the cooler box.
0: All right. So an Okavango craft beer with a wildlife focal point looking west. And any other advice to add to have a great sunset?
1: Make sure your guide checks every bush that you're going to use as a pit stop. Because I've had way too many people have close encounters when they shouldn't have had a close encounter with various things. My funniest was somebody who nearly peed on the head of a hyena. Can ruin the sundowner.
0: <laughs> and then the last one. Um, if you're going to go out and explore locally, where are you going?
1: Savuti. For me, it's a four-hour game, four-hour game drive from here to Savuti. And I, I just love Savuti. You're going to do a podcast on Savuti. But it's it's a very spiritual place um, and really good wildlife. So mm. it's a, it's where I go if I can get there.
0: I hate to admit it, but when I did the podcast with James, I had actually only spent one night in Savuti on an agent educational, so it doesn't really count because that's mm. you know fly in, fly out, drive around like a mad thing. And the very first weekend we had free after lockdown, I hit it, and I agree a hundred percent with you. It's actually mm. where I saw twenty twenty one in and um, wonderful. What a what a place to see yeah. in a new year, as wonderful. you say, spiritual mm. and trying to you know uh what a place to reset and, and regroup and such a beautiful beautiful interesting part of the country because it's quite yeah. different from
1: everywhere else yeah absolutely
0: right. well thank you so much for your your input today grant i i have a feeling this needs to be a repeat event and i'll keep on coming to kasani for them i to do anything i'm not coming
1: to mount for this, <laughs> <so>. <laughs> uh, it's uh, been an absolute pleasure tessa and and I I hope you go from strength to strength with these podcasts everybody should listen to them
0: yeah thank you very much and we're just trying you know trying to get more of those tourists we want you know we all want more travelers here so that we can be as you say that resource we're missing and we can have more people visiting Botswana and we can share share our wonderful home with them so thank you so much for your time appreciate it
1: my pleasure thank you very much for having me
0: That was Grant Nell from Last Chance Safaris. It was great having a chat to him on the road and being able to do it in his beautiful garden on the banks of the Chobe River. I hope you enjoyed the bird noises and excuse the slightly less than studio quality audio. If you would like to support this podcast, please um, go onto iTunes and leave a review as well as a rating. It really makes a huge difference to our visibility and also follow on Instagram or Facebook so you can get an idea on when the next episode's coming out. It's been great to get into the double figures. Um, This is episode 11. I'm looking forward to the episodes that I've got lined up with lots of interesting conversations coming up as well as discussing the different goings-on that's happening in Botswana at the moment and different things on offer. Thank you once again for taking this journey with me. Until next time.